Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries, hosting alongside Jake Deemer for the first time, and I'm pretty sure it's been a month, Jake. Last week, it was you and Brendan. The week before, it was me and Sam. week before that, you and Jordan. It's been a month. Welcome back, I guess, to the two of us hosting. How are you doing, Jake? I'm good. It's been a while. Has been a while, but I really like what we've got going on this year. I know a couple couple episodes so far have been a little impromptu, you know, somebody coming to replace one of the two of us. But I really like this kind of rotational podcast host sign up that we have going on. I think it's uh it's keeping me excited to do this every week or I guess over the past month, every other week. <laughs> Hopefully the same for you. Yeah, it helps keep it fresh. So welcome everybody into episode 10, uh, looking ahead to week nine, obviously looking back at week eight, starting with the prior week recap. Jake, you had a strong week to kind of bust out of the season long slump, get over 500 for, I want to say maybe the first time all season, you went five and one with your matchup predictions and Brendan, like you predicted, Jake had a terrible week putting up a two and four record kind of bucking the trend for the first time all season of the guests just blowing us out of the water for the matchup predictions. But let's dig into week eight. Jake, give me the first of your two big takeaways. Uh, so my first big takeaway, is Sam an underachiever or is he just getting unlucky? Because he kind he sits here with, I mean, or how good we thought his team was, I would say maybe like an, uninspiring record uh he's tied with my team and i don't think my team's as good uh i know his points four is still very good but it, i don't know this see this seems like a far cry from the uh the team that i picked to break the the win record which by the way i don't think any of our teams are on pace to i, I guess I, I guess i should say the top team in our league this year is on pace to be like the lowest total wins um, out of a top team. So I think we're like our middle is maybe a little, I don't know. I think the middle of the curve this year, it may be a little fatter than previous years. Whereas like last year, we, I think we were kind of end heavy. That makes sense. It does. Cause the, the bottom two teams in the league are four and 12, the top two teams are 12 and four. So we do not really have a major outlier this year on either end. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, if you want to, if you're, you have any, uh, thoughts. I did. I was just going to say, I noticed on last week's episode that you picked against Sam, if I recall. And I, and I thought to myself, like Jake predicted that Sam was going to break the head to head record. So, you know, I thought that was interesting. You're already kind of, I don't want to say abandoning your take, but I thought you, uh, locked yourself in. I guess last week was one of the few weeks, unless you're just fully deciding to break it, that you ended up going off track. I have to bust out of this slump somehow. So I feel like I maybe I was being too restrictive. Fair enough. Fair enough. My first big takeaway is that there is no such thing as a slow-cooked auction in our league. When someone says that they are selling, 
you, you know, like it or not, you better focus on working out a deal because we do not have the kind of group that squeezes every lo- every last drop they can when making deals. And I actually really dig that, that you kind of have to be very attentive and you have to communicate, you know, rather quickly. You have to stay on top of the ball. I think rewarding those things, again, like it or dislike it, I really dig that it, you know, it kind of rewards the managers who are really plugged in communicating with everybody else and staying in the loop. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. And I'm obviously kind of alluding to a lot of the trade action that happened this past week. Yeah, that was actually really similar to my second takeaway. Um, mine was more, mine was more so with Mike when he, when he thinks about he's going to, he's going to make a trade, like it's happening. So either jump in or you're going to miss the train because he's not going to wait around. I know he said he was going to take his time. Maybe that was him taking his time. I think it was over like a two day span instead of maybe like a couple hours. (laughs) Yeah, he uh, he definitely, you know, it was kind of over in a flash. Was that that was the the entirety of your second takeaway, right? I mean, I had more. I had. okay. go for it. Well, you already kind of spelled it out like it. Everybody's pretty quick. You got to. Maybe except for Scott, but everybody else is pretty quick with. When they when they say they're trading somebody, like you got to jump in. Yeah. My second big takeaway is that there's really only one pin left to drop before we somewhat finalize our eight playoff teams. So, with Scott, Mike, and Jerwin making what I think we can call clear selling moves this past week, only one more team needs to sell before we have eight non-sellers remaining. Which could mean, but you know, it doesn't guarantee, of course, that the biggest buyer-seller window may have already passed us by this past week. You know, don't get me wrong; each of Mike, Jerwin, and Scott still have big pieces to sell, but I'd argue that the most prized piece from each team has already been moved for keepers. So I will be interested to look back when the trade deadline has passed us and see kind of which pocket of trades will end up having, you know, been the largest buyer-seller window. Because I think that what happened this past week, and we're going to obviously dive into it shortly, I think that was a pretty, you know, I don't want to say league-altering, but it is going to shift the competitive balance for the rest of the year. There's a lot of buyer-seller action going on, so. I guess it may be a little bit of a hot take. I I actually think Sherwood might be able to sneak into the playoffs, despite moving Gosman and Kimbrell. I'd be curious to know why you think that because the biggest get for Jerwin is a player that is not going to touch the mound this year. And he gave up his best pitcher, his best healthy pitcher. Yeah, but I mean, he's look at the look at the free fall. Okay, so he gave up Gosman. I mean, Eddie's lost Scherzer. That's his best pitcher. I don't know that the roster's outside of. I mean, Eddie's offense is a lot better, but I don't really think that Eddie's pitching outside of Scherzer is really much better than Jerwin's offense that we always talk down about. And Jerwin's pitching when he starts getting healthy, it's going to look pretty good. And we, he's also already he already has one win over Brendan. And when I say one win over, I don't think they've played each other yet, but he's one win ahead of Brendan right now in the standings. So he's already got a jump on that on that team. Two teams, he's two wins ahead of Mike and Scott. I don't know. I just, I, I think he could sneak in there. 
I, I think it's pretty unlikely. I think at this point, the, the most likely thing to happen is um, potentially the East grabbing five playoff spots. You know, both of the wild cards going to maybe Brendan and JC. Eddie's kind of on a free fall. Jerwin's team, I don't know. It's just, I get, I kind of get the argument, like you're saying, there's not, I guess, strong competition that he needs to pass. But I think with Brendan's team getting healthier, obviously Paul Goldschmidt and Mookie Betts are carrying the offense. But he's getting Clayton Kershaw back this week. He's getting Shane Baz for the first time all season. Has Chris Bassett. Drew Rasmussen has been solid all year. Luis Severino has been really turning it on lately. Um, we don't know anything about Andrew Heaney and Freddie Peralta as far as like a concrete timetable. But I, I know Peralta's Brendan, a while. I think Heaney is yeah. starting to throw recently. So I think Brendan, I, I mean, you know, it's possible, but I think that Brendan is going to be Jerwin's biggest obstacle to kind of pass for that second wild card spot. I think his team's going to really come on strong, stronger than it has been anyway, here within the next few weeks. That's a good segue into our top three standings update. So in the East Division, in third place, Jake, we have your team, Jake's fantasy baseball team with a record of 10 and six. Second place, same record, ten and six, but it is Sam, weak pullout hitter, and in first place, I think you guys have been the same top three basically all season. It's Nick, Freedom All Stars, with a record of twelve and four. Over in the West Division, in third place, I believe Courtney, who was in, I want to say she was in second place last week, but Team C Deemer with a nine and seven record. My team in second place, kind of reclaiming a spot here in the in the top three. Demons in the infield with a nine and seven record. I I might have been in the top three last week with a five hundred record, but definitely climbing up there. You know, getting in second place, and then in first place, Jordan's team, the Walk Institute of Research, with a twelve and four record. So, not a lot of change in terms of if we reflect on the whole season so far. I, I want to say the biggest change or the most frequent change has kind of been the two and three in the West Division, but been the same same two or three names popping up there even in the midst of those changes so you know here maybe at the all-star break we'll have to take a turn to potentially looking at the wild card race instead of the top three since it like i said doesn't seem to be changing jake we uh have a lot of trades and a lot of big trades to talk about this week there were none i think when you guys recorded last week yeah, this, I think that was the longest that anybody's ever gone without trading in this league. Yeah, the, it might have been, but this week's action certainly made up for the lack of action last week. So let's jump right into it. The first trade of the week was Scott giving up Josh Hader and CJ Abrams. In return, I gave him George Kirby and Ryan Presley. Jake, I haven't talked to anybody about really any of the trades that have happened this week. I'm going to be curious to hear your thoughts on all of these. Let's start by giving us the breakdown on this first one. Uh, I really like Josh Hader. I think you, I actually think you got him on the cheap. I want to say I, I still don't like prospects. I don't like, I don't want to say I don't like prospects as keepers, but I don't like, I guess I don't like prospects as keepers. I don't know how else to phrase it. I, I don't know that the amount of time that you have to wait for them to actually be good like 90% of the time just isn't worth it to me. And I think that you'd, you'd be better. You're better. You're much better served trying to get a more established option. Uh, 
I, I don't mind George Kirby. I think it's, I think he's all fastball though, and doesn't have a whole lot of secondary, at least not yet. Like maybe he can take the step that Logan Gilbert did this year, but even Logan Gilbert, I still, like, I think he's kind of overachieved. Uh, I don't know. I, I think Hater's more valuable than the keepers you gave up, but I, I do think it's a really good deal for you. Like I said, Hater is one of the biggest advantages you can have. Jake, I'm curious before I kind of share any thoughts on this, I'm curious what you make of the second part of the trade. You didn't mention CJ Abrams or Ryan Presley. And I'm going to share the story of how they got added into the deal when you're, you know, when you finish giving your thoughts here. But I'm just curious when you're looking at those two. How does that factor into the deal for you, if at all? Uh, so Abrams really doesn't do a whole lot for me. He looked pretty overmatched, and he also wasn't getting a whole lot of playing time, and that was even with Tatis out. So I'm not sure how much he's going to get in the near future once Tatis comes back. If He wasn't even in the lineup every day when he was out. Uh, he doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, Presley, Presley's a weird case. Uh, I think he's just kind of settled in as like you have your you have your first tier right with like haters probably by himself, but I'll include like Hendricks and Diaz up there, and you kind of got your second tier guys like Kimbrel, like the guys who were pretty reliable. Uh, maybe like Kimbrel, I guess Presley. Maybe we should probably give more than just Kimbrel. I get Rice Iglesias is in that tier too, but I, I think he's I think Presley's kind of at the the back of that group. So he's like he's more of like a solid guy than anything else. I don't know. I'm not huge on Presley this year. I think his velocity's still been down. I was. It has. It has. Um, There's a couple good options behind him too. I don't know if they ever decided to pivot. Yeah, he's been good as of late. So I for I want to say a week and a half before this trade actually was made was trying to get Hater off of Scott for George Kirby alone. Um, it wasn't until basically right before the deal was made that Scott said, I, you know, I like that offer. Can we add CJ Abrams and Ryan Presley to the deal? I thought about it for a second and thought like Presley's more useful to me than Abrams, but one, I'm not going to let giving up Ryan Presley keep me from acquiring Josh Hader. And two, Abrams, we talked about really early in the season how he was one of our favorite picks for uh, Scott's team because he has a lot of potential keeper value. I'm not, I'm not going to say what it is now. That's pretty subjective depending on who you ask. Because I got, I thought like when I when I originally made the trade, like shoot, I have to give up Brian Presley for a guy that's not going to help my team now. I thought like okay, I'll make that concession. And I had a couple people text me like whoa, you got Abrams from him too? And I was like, okay, I guess people still like, you know, his potential keeper value. So that was um, that was an interesting kind of addition, addition, additional factor in the deal. But yeah, very happy to get Josh Hader. This is my first ever share of Hader in any league. I'm very excited to have him. George Kirby, I knew when I claimed him back when Brendan dropped him at the beginning of the season, I knew... That I was going to trade him for a really big time asset later in the season. Had no idea who that was going to be or when that was going to be. Just happened to be this past week with Josh Hader. So very happy about it. Um, we talked a couple weeks ago about how George Kirby has a very similar profile to Logan Gilbert. Um, I guess Scott, you know, would tend to agree with that because Logan Gilbert has been looked at as a pretty good keeper. Josh Hader, uh, 
he was drafted in the fourth round this year. So, you know, for a potential late third round pick, I guess it depends on where my pick would fall. But I might even consider keeping him next year too. So it'll be interesting, I guess, to see how that keeper aspect for Josh Hader may even factor in. Let's move on to the next one. This is another big-time trade. I gave up Edward Cabrera, Andrew Vaughn, and Yusei Kikuchi. And in return, Mike gave up Luis Robert, Luis Castillo, and Carlos Carrasco. Jake, I'll tell the story of how this trade unfolded, and then you can give me your thoughts. So Mike made his announcement that he's going to sell, right? And I text him. Hey, I don't. I know that I don't have the ammo to get or even to make an offer that's serious for Trey Turner. So I would like to try as somebody who had a weak outfield, or Luis Robert or Fernando Tatis. And I told Mike up front that even though Tatis is one of those two guys that I'd like to try for, given that we have not really any information about when he's going to come back, you know, we have examples to point to in the past of wrist injuries affecting hitters even when they do come back i said like i'm interested in tatis but i that doesn't necessarily you know help me with what i should offer for him so i basically said i prefer luis robert and he told me okay well right off the bat you know edward cabrera is a guy that i would really be interested in and when he said that i thought to myself was edward cabrera drafted because i picked him up not knowing that he was drafted and dropped. I had literally I, I no idea. Either. Literally no <laughs> idea. I just thought I was picking him up. You know, he's an undrafted free agent having a great game. I picked him up because I thought, and I was going to start him this week. He had a two-start week. I think he's pitching pretty well right now against the Nationals. But he said that, and I was about to say, Mike, he doesn't have any keeper value. He wasn't drafted. And I click on his profile. Turns out Scott drafted him with the eighth pick of the 25th round. So extremely late. Now, I didn't, you know, I I was realizing all this as Mike was talking to me, and Mike said something to the tune of, Now, I know Luis Robert wouldn't be enough by himself to get Edward Cabrera. So, what else would I have to give you? So, then from there, I basically said, um, Well, I'd like to get an arm to replace him because I was going to start him this week. And then that's how the rest of the deal kind of unfolded. I added another potential keeper in Andrew Vaughn. It worked out that he gave me two more arms. So, that is the story behind the trade. Not going to give any analysis on it. I'll just pass the floor over to you, Jake. Oh, Mike, you got to just let it, just let it slide. Just pretend like, yeah, I just wanted an arm. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize, <laughs> realize Cabrera was, was, uh, was kept even a little bit after you got the trade. Cause I was like, I, I thought I remembered Kikuchi being drafted, but I was like, he can't possibly be the right, the, the other keeper, right? This, <laughs> it's like all you this thought, for Andrew thought, Vaughn. You thought Andrew Vaughn was the headliner. <laughs> I did. I, because I, I had no recollection of Cabrera. Neither did I. It's like Nelson Mandela effect. Yeah. Like I, I checked a couple of times of thinking, oh, maybe I'll take a flyer on him because my pitching was not great. But I, I just, I never, all those times I checked on him while he was on waivers. I never once looked to see if he was drafted. But, I didn't either until Mike asked about him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, like, I don't know how, how good Cabrera is going to be. I didn't really like him much coming into the year. Um, I actually thought he was going to be passed by uh, Mayer in the 
kind of the I guess the as the next call up. But um, I don't know. He's performed well so far. The Triple A numbers this year, I don't believe, or have been very good. So I'm not, I don't know if it's just a a couple starts where you know it's his first. I know it was in cores, but the Rockies are still pretty rough. Maybe he just got the better of them because he it was his first start. Uh, I know the Nationals aren't very good either, but I don't know. I'm not I'm not really sold on Cabrera as being an impact player. Just be, I I don't know. I, the results in AAA have not been great, and I wasn't really very enthusiastic about him coming into the year. I do like Andrew Vaughn though. Um, I think he's. I don't remember if he's not if he's still not playing every day or if that kind of turned around. But, I believe it turned around. I do think he's. I think okay. he's hitting at the kind of second half of the the order, which is not okay. great, but he's still at least playing every day at this point. Yeah, I mean Robert's a really good get for you because I think has turned it around a little bit in his last couple starts. He's looked more like the the guy for the pre twenty twenty one Luis Castillo and Carlos Carrasco just keeps getting it done. You can thank the his like all of the luck that. Jacob DeGrom didn't have in the wind department over the last couple of years with the Mets. So another, another trade, I think I favor your side on. Third trade of the week, another buyer seller trade. Jerwin gave up Kevin Gosman and Craig Kimbrell in return. Jake, you gave him Tyler glass now and Merrill Kelly. I'm going to say that Merrill Kelly is a non-factor in this deal. He had a hot start to the year, but has not been good as of late. Maybe a guy that Jerwin can sell or, you know, add in as a throw into the to a deal, you know, as a sweetener later in the year. But Tyler Glass now, I love the thought behind you drafting him where you did. I think you took him in what the seventeenth or eighteenth yes. round, seventeenth. I think it's the seventeenth. I texted Jerwin right away. Like that was a really nice deal. Tyler Glass now is a great keeper. Uh, so I I dig what he did. Kevin Gosman is a top six pitcher. I'm pretty confident in saying that you may He's not top five for me. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say he may not be a sexy guy to call like a top five pitcher, given that you have the big names, like, you know, what if when Jacob DeGrom comes back, is he going to slide into the top five when Brandon Woodruff finally gets healthy and gets right. You could say all that. You could say all these big names, but Kevin Gosman simply takes the ball every fifth day. He gives you volume. He gives you strikeouts. He's on a great team with a great offense. He is a top, you know, like we said, five to six pitcher. So I love the get free there. Craig Kimbrell, I don't know too much what to make of him. He is a closer for a great team. And he was very dominant last year. I know he's been kind of so-so this year. I'm guessing that that is going to age pretty well in terms of Craig Kimbrell kind of rounding into form. So I really like this trade on both sides. Thought it was uh, pretty appropriate. The one thing that I thought was interesting was Jerwin saying, Hey guys, I just made this trade where I gave up my best player on my team for a guy that's not going to take the ball this year, but I'm not selling. <laughs> that was my only question, but that doesn't so really I guess, have to do I guess with just the trade to give itself. some just to give some insight from Jerwin's side. Um and I kind of agree with him on this because we I mean we text about fantasy baseball quite a bit, just you know, both under the pitcher analytics stuff and I think that I don't know that Jerwin necessarily has like what what exactly is he doing that would improve his team by selling more because he he already has like 
some pretty good keepers. Like Scoobles pretty is going to be a good keeper. Kopak. Um, I know he's now he is glass now, but like he doesn't have really many spots to fill, I guess. And like when Mike says that he's selling, Jerwin doesn't really have the ammunition that he's going to outbid. Um, even like before, and I'm saying if Jerwin wants to buy it, but he doesn't really have the ammunition to outbid anybody, anyways, without taking away from his keeper pool. And he kind of had to rebuild that on the fly this year, anyways. So I guess, like, I don't know what he really has to gain at this point besides maybe missing a shot at the playoffs for sure and like really depleting his roster. And I don't know that the upgrade he can reasonably get from that. Like, I think Gosman was really, and I guess Kimbrell was like, those were the big pieces maybe you could trade Woodruff later but like who are you reasonably going to get that's better than what you already have I guess is my thoughts from his side and at least the keeper department I don't want to put all of his business out there but he told me this week that he's planning to keep DeGrom, Scooble, Lauer, Glasnow that's four guys right off the bat all pitchers that would leave Michael Kopech who was drafted in the 15th round that would leave Tim Anderson, who was drafted in the 13th round, but he's the same round as Tariq, Tariq Skubal. I don't know that he has another player drafted in the 15th round for Kopech to complete, compete with, but I guess maybe he just doesn't like what he's seen from Kopech. I get what you're saying. You know, Who is he going to go out and get right now that completes his five keepers? It's definitely, I guess, a fair statement. It's just, um, I guess where I'm coming from is why slap a labeled window on it. Like, okay, maybe you don't sell Woodruff and Kopech and Tim Anderson. You, whoever you decide that you're not going to keep but have value this year, maybe you're not going to sell them this week, whatever. But why, uh, basically, I guess my question is why are you not hearing offers like if you're if your fifth keeper isn't locked down shouldn't you always be open at any point in the season to hearing an offer where you could potentially lock that fifth keeper down so it wasn't like uh i thought oh he's just gonna sell to jake and then block everybody else out it was more of like a if you're deciding to sell which it somewhat seems like you are like wouldn't you at least be open to hearing offers all throughout the season. Unless he's trying to do the best of both worlds, like you said, and, and sell, but also make the playoffs. I, I think know. that's ideally what he's trying to do. Yeah, his his team is a little bit of a... a little bit of a conundrum for me. Like I, It's a little hard for me to figure out. He also has Ty France, who was drafted in the 10th round, 8th round keeper next year. So like yeah. he, has, he has a lot of quality options to be kept. That's kind of what I'm saying, though. Like, he, like I don't really know how he improves the keeper pool, really, without de- depleting. Like, I just, I just, I guess, I just don't see how he's really getting a, a big improvement there. Yeah, I, I guess, like the like, I think he the best the benefit of maybe just trying to sneak into the playoffs and seeing what happens. That's probably better than whatever. Uh, the whatever um, benefit he can get by like maybe like a marginal upgrade for another keeper. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get, I see what you're saying. It helps me understand a little bit more still, still in like a interesting case, if nothing else. 
Well, let's go to the next trade. This was another one from Mike. He gave up Trey Turner and Julio Urias, and in return got from Nick Carlos Rodon. Jake, I thought that this was the right value for for both guys. I know Nick yeah, this, was asking. This felt right. Yeah, I was going to say. I know Nick was asking for. I think I can't remember exactly, but I want to say Mike said that Nick was asking for Turner, Urias, and Tatis originally, not just for Rodon. I think he was trying to like sprinkle in like a Brendan Rodgers or something like that. But it essentially boiled down to like the only guy that Mike would keep would have been Carlos Rodon. Personally, I thought that was too much. Uh, Nick told me that at a certain point, Mike was just trying to offer Trey Turner for Carlos Rodon. I thought that was too little. This feels like the right happy medium. Yeah, I agree. I think this is about right. All right, short and sweet for that one. The last trade of the week, JC jumping into the trade segment here. He gave up Jamison Tyone and Reed Detmers. Mike gave him in return Anthony Rendon and Rizel Iglesias. Jake, I think Mike got a steal here. Not um, you know, I don't think that Jamison Tyone is an ace, but he was drafted in the twenty-sixth round, and he has been a stud this year. I think Mike got the steal here. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. <laughs> Rendon is, you know, I think he's a serviceable fantasy asset. Rizel Iglesias has been off this year, but I still think that he will be serviceable. Reed Detmers, whatever. But Jamison Tyone has been the only standout fantasy asset this year, and he just so happens to have the maximum amount of keeper value possible. So I really like this deal for Mike. Yeah, I agree with you. I, um, like I'm not crazy about Tyone, but it's hard, it's hard to really hate on the value there. I think the I think better days are ahead for Iglesias and Rend- like, I don't I don't think Rendon is a timetable yet, but I think the the best of them this season is probably still ahead of them. But mm-hmm. I mean that's the, the value with Tyon's pretty good. I think I would guess that JC maybe doesn't fully fully buy what Tyon is doing right now, so maybe he was seeing it as kind of like a sell high slash a buy low on Rendon and Iglesias. Um, this one will be interesting to see play out. Because Tyone could be, you know, pitching over his head right now, and I, I, like you said, I think with Rendon being hurt right now, his stock's obviously lower than it will be by season's end. Iglesias has not been pitching well as of late, so his stock is down as well. So, I think you know maybe potentially both guys think they're, or I, I should say, JC maybe thinks that he's selling high on his guy and buying low on the guys he's acquiring. I'll be curious to see how the needle swings throughout the rest of the year to see how correct he is on that. So that wraps up the trade segment. Jake, let's get into our main segment for the week. And I, it's kind of in the spirit of all of these trades that we were just discussing This is going to be ranking the top five and, you know, in each of our respective opinions, keepers in the league currently and the top five non keepers. And the, the rules are kind of loose for this. I, included guys in my non-keepers list, or I should say a guy at least, that could be kept. Um, But essentially, you know, there's some guys that potentially have hybrid value as a keeper and, of course, as a top player this season. So you can kind of do with that what you'd like. We're actually going to aggregate at the end and give you a top 10 combined rankings to kind of see where these super stud non-keepers rank among 
the super stud keepers. So I thought that would be an interesting kind of exercise for us to do this week with a lot of buyer seller trades that have happened. So we're going to go kind of countdown. We're going to start with five and we're going to start with the keeper side. So Jake, starting with your fifth most valuable keeper, uh, who do you got in that spot? Well, so I, um, I actually ranked six keepers just because I couldn't find my last spot. I guess to be a fun segment. Yeah, I went with I went with Kyle Tucker and um, Tyler Glass. Now I'll be I'll be right up front with um, how I kind of value keepers. I I know that you can have up to three years of control. Honestly, I don't really care about the last year of control because there is so much that can happen in between them. I I don't think it's I don't think it's valuable. It's really good practice, I guess, to make like that can be a deciding factor, I guess, if two people are really close. But I don't think that having the third year of control is really very important. At least, um, maybe that's just because I usually churn through keepers, so maybe that's just how I've operated, but. I think it's a nice bonus. I, I treat it as icing on the cake. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's good practice to like value the third, like the third year of control, as really anything important. I value the twenty. Like for, for right now, I'm going to value the 2023. That's what's most important to me. Um, even like the farther out, the closer we get to uh, an immediate discount. That's what. That's what really works for me because I don't. I don't know. I don't, I'm not huge on trying to plan a couple years out for a league like this, anyways. Sure. Uh, so that's why I think you're going to see me. Like, I'm interested to see if that's maybe where we differ a little bit. But I have Kyle Tucker. He's a borderline, maybe like a second round talent, early second, late first round talent, depending on how you want to how you, how you draft him. I don't know where he would have gone in our if he was available in our draft this year. Uh, He's available in the night. He's, he can be kept for a ninth round pick. Um, I don't have a, really have anything bad to say about Kyle Tucker. So I, that he's an elite player can be had who can be had very very late. Uh, Glass now, he's one where the third year you kind of have to value because you're not going to get him. You're not going to get him at all for this current year. Um, but I think we we've seen and I believe that I I would value him a little higher than some of the other Tommy John pitchers that have come on that have been hurt in the past. And actually the reason that I say that is because we've seen kind of the success that Justin Verlander has had. And I think that that has to do maybe with the timing of the surgery. Cause I believe that glass now should be a full go from uh, as soon as spring training ends, he should not have to miss any time. I believe he got surgery early enough last year where he should be ready to go opening day next year. The Rays don't have any reason to limit him. He's going to be a free agent after that season. Uh, so I think he, there's a good chance he could be a full go. I don't think he's going to be like a Verlander or anything, but he's still a very elite pitcher that could be had pretty late. Yeah, I don't think that we're going to differ quite as much as you might think. I mean, there are certainly some guys that I value all three years of eligibility for that you'll hear in my rankings. But the first guy... I kind of mentioned in the explanation of the segment that there are certain players in this that I almost considered as like a hybrid value of they're an amazing non-keeper and they're an amazing keeper because they're such an amazing non-keeper. 
And this first guy is pretty much the epitome of that. My fifth most valuable keeper is Jordan Alvarez, who you get this year. Who's you know he's yeah I told you guys last time I was on he is a top ten hitter in my hitters rankings now. You know I was doing the the really big deep dive between him and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who was the number one overall hitter last year, and Jordan has been better since he's debuted than Vlad has. He, you get him this year. He's a fourth rounder next year. He's a third rounder in twenty twenty four. Uh, that's just, you know, you you can't beat that. He's returning first-round value, and, and his profile is so safe. He doesn't rely on, I don't want to say anything physical, but there's just not a lot of risk that his production is going to change based on the profile with which he gets that production. So Jordan Alvarez is my fifth most valuable keeper. Jay I had Coot? him right in there with, with Tucker and Glass. Now he was actually my last... Because I didn't think I could talk about three. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's fair. So, who is your fourth most valuable keeper? All right. My fourth, my fourth most valuable keeper is Joe Musgrove. Um, I've elevated him all the way into my top 10 pitchers. And I know that he only has one year of control left, but he can be had next year in the 10th round. And for an elite pitcher, that's pretty huge because we saw even this year when pitching was more widely available, how quickly they went. If Musgrove was available, he's probably a middle second round pick in this, in our draft. So having him in the 10th, I think is pretty big discount, especially for the production. He's been lights out. This is where I think you uh, might raise an eyebrow at me. My fourth most valuable keeper is Julio Rodriguez. Who, of course, you have him this year. He is a 16th rounder in 2023, and then he is a 12th rounder in 2024. So we're actually going to talk about Julio Rodriguez a little bit later in the episode. So I want to save some of the firepower for then. But despite not having a great uh, surface level stat production so far this year, I think he's averaging around two and a half points per game. He has really turned it on over the past, I want to say, like 40 to 45 days. And really a lot of what's dragging down his you know, point-per-game production was that he was getting squeezed in a different realm from any other player in baseball by umpires. He had by far, in the first month of the season, the most, call, the most called strikes on pitches that actually landed outside of the zone that he wasn't swinging at. The plate discipline is actually excellent because he would have been walking more than striking out had those all been properly called balls. And he's on, I want to say, a 20 home run, 30 steals pace. You combine those two things with an amazing play discipline approach, I think he's going to be the next... I, I don't want to say it yet. He's my fourth most valuable keeper. Jake, who is your third most valuable keeper? Third most valuable keeper... Nasty Nestor Cortez, who I don't hate, despite what everybody says. I still don't think he's going to be an elite option for the second half of this year. I don't feel like that's really a stretch. But he does come with three years of control where, and again, I don't care really about this about the third year, but it's nice that it's there. I think like he I don't see him having the same innings problems that I think he's going to run into this year next year or the year after that. So that's, I have on the other side though, he is not going to retain 
relief pitcher eligibility, but that's not important to this right now. Yeah, Nestor Cortez, who I actually like, believe it or not. My third most valuable keeper is Nasty Nestor Cortez Jr. <laughs> like Jake said, 14th rounder next year, 11th rounder in 2024, 8th rounder in 2025. Don't feel like I need to comment further. Jake, who is your second most valuable keeper? Carlos Rodon, who I hope is not broken because we uh he seemed to suck as soon as the dyna- as soon as the the nuts traded for him. The nuts are, are Jerwin and my dynasty team. Uh so I hope that we didn't break Carlos Rodon. Skill set is still so good. Uh I just I still believe Still believe, but I, he is my second. He's my second most valuable keeper. I think between what he did last year and the start earlier, I, I still believe in the skill set. This one, my my second most valuable keeper, I think is gonna another one that might come as a surprise to you, Jake. My second most valuable keeper is Mackenzie Gore, who is a fifteenth rounder in twenty twenty three, a twelfth rounder in twenty twenty four and a ninth rounder in 2025. So Mackenzie Gore, uh, for those who are not, I guess, prospect gurus who have not been keeping up with prospects for the last few years, Mackenzie Gore, basically besides last year, has been the unanimous number one pitching prospect in baseball for three years before last year. And then there was some question about him kind of reworking his mechanics he wasn't getting the same results, so last year he took a little bit of a dip. But then finally, he made his long-awaited MLB debut this season, and he has been living up to every expectation held of him You know, over the last three to four years. He has a 150 ERA, a 106 whip, 57 strikeouts in 48 innings. He is simply the man. He had 10 strikeouts in his last start against the Brewers. It was six innings pitched, 10 strikeouts. The start before that, seven innings pitched, nine strikeouts. Both of those starts not letting in a single run. The start before that, six innings pitched, six strikeouts, no runs. Or, I'm sorry, one run. He's a stud. I think uh, he is the real deal. You mentioned that you don't necessarily like prospects as keepers too often. I think that this guy is the exception. That's why I have him as my number two overall keeper. I do like Gore. I, he was another one that I was that I had considered for this. So give us. I think we. I think we might have the same same guy here. But give us your number one, your top keeper option. Top keeper option is Corbin Burns. He's my number one pitcher. Is the number one pitcher last? Well, he wasn't the number one pitcher last year, but he's my number one pitcher this year. I don't really see that changing, especially like as he gets farther and farther in the. Innings are going to just keep going up, or you would like to hope so. And uh, yeah, number one overall pitcher in the tenth round. I don't care that this is his last year of eligibility. He's my number one. Corbin Burns is also my number one keeper. He, uh, Jake, is referring to him being the number one in his rankings. Yeah, I guess I should specify that. Yeah, he's actually the number nine starting pitcher on the year. But I want to number say number one in my rankings and in my heart. Other than, and I don't even want to say other than, because it's really like kind of equal footing. Other than Garrett Cole, I think that this is the guy that you can rely on to give you volume, to give you insane strikeout 
upside to give you a lot of wins because he's on a good team. And you're getting him in the 10th round, even if it's only for one more year, 10th round discount, plus what you're getting out of him this season is insane, surefire value, unless you were to, you know, God forbid he got hurt. Wouldn't wish that on him. But that is about as guaranteed top-end elite production as you could possibly get, and you're getting it at an extreme discount with Corbin Burns. So he is also my number one keeper. So let's kick it over to the non-keepers or the guys that, uh, you know, maybe they do have keeper value, but they're ne- they're definitely not top five keeper options. And I only have one of those guys. I'm not sure if you did have any of those guys, but I guess we'll find out here shortly. I'll kick it off with my number five. It's the guy that I'm referring to, Shane McClanahan. So technically he can be kept next year in the second round. Um, did not want to, you know, he's not a top five keeper option as a second round keeper, but he is the number two overall pitcher so far this year. He is the number four overall player so far this year. And I think he is the one young pitcher that could buck the trend of, you know, teams going to watch his innings. I'm not saying that they're going to give him 200 innings, but I could see, you know, Shane McClanahan getting up to potentially 170, which is plenty valuable enough for him to be a top five starting pitcher this year. Uh, He is, like I said, the SP2 overall on the season, averaging five and two thirds innings pitched per start, which if you take out his first two starts, he's actually actually averaging six innings pitched. So basically a quality start every time. He's giving you 12 and a half strikeouts per nine innings. He is the number one pitcher in baseball in strikeout to walk percentage at 31.2%. The next closest is not even close. It's Corbin Burns, who we just talked about. He has a 26.5%, basically 5% lower that Shane McClanahan is beating him by. Uh, so Shane McClanahan, he is my number five non-keeper. Who is your number five non-keeper, Jake? Uh, so my number five is Manny Machado. Um, I, he's a third baseman. Those are hard to come by. Uh I think we talked about this, but I talked about this with Brendan last, last week, I think Um, it's at at third base. It's like Ramirez. Then there's, then there's a teardrop or mini teardrop. I should say Machado, Devers, everybody else. And when you're in the top tier, that's pretty nice. So I can't, Devers is pretty close behind him, but it's, it's Machado for me here. My number four non-keeper is Manny Machado. (laughs) He's the second highest war in baseball, wins above replacement, and that's just looking at his hitting production uh, in in terms of how I filtered it on fan graphs. I was just looking at hitting, not fielding. He's a 405 OBP. He's the number two third baseman on the season. Uh, And, you know, he's, he's likely not and doesn't finish as the number three pure hitter. And I say number three because I actually have one pitcher ahead of him in these top five non-keeper rankings. But the positional advantage that he provides alongside, you named Jose Ramirez and Rafael Devers, I'll also throw out the name Nolan Arenado, is such a huge advantage over opponents who do not have one of those other two, I'm sorry, one of those other three top guys, that I think that that gives him the bump into getting into the top five non-keepers here for me. Who is your number four non-keeper, Jake? Uh, This is the only guy that I included that has 
a little bit of keeper value, even if it's not it's not a ton. But I it's Guerrero Jr. Um, I know that he hasn't gotten off to such a roaring start, but if you look at his if you look at his if you look at his underlying numbers, there's not really that much of a difference between now and his MVP season. And he's heated up a lot recently, I think, which backs up that stance a little bit. Just the launch angle. If you listened into what me and Sam were talking about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think that's starting to get a little better. It as- is. I think it was four degrees when we talked two weeks ago, Sam and I. Now it's up to 5.4 degrees as his average launch angle this year. So he, It seems like he has been lifting the ball a little bit more recently. Yeah, he wouldn't have been here maybe if we had this conversation a couple weeks ago. But I, th- I think he's shown enough, and he still hits the ball as hard as anyone. But I don't think he's that far off from the guy he was last year. My number three non-keeper, I mentioned that I had one more pitcher here in my top five. It's Garrett Cole. He is the fifth-ranked or fifth-performing starting pitcher on the season, SP5. He's averaging five and two-thirds innings pitch per start as well, like Shane McClanahan. But if you take out his third start of the season where he lasted under two innings, he's actually averaging six and a third innings pitched per start. He's also giving you 11.3 strikeouts per nine innings. He is the number four pitcher in baseball in strikeout to walk percentage at 25.7% which if you remember, I mentioned Corbin Burns as number two at 26.5%. So he's very close to being, you know, let's say the second best pitcher in baseball and strikeout to walk percentage. Shane McClanahan is just absolutely blowing everybody away. And we've talked about these, these manager interviews. What's your favorite stat for pitchers? I'll tell everybody right now, strikeout to walk percentage is the single most important uh, stat for a starting pitcher. My humble opinion, of course, but I don't think it's close. I think that's the most useful stat. Who is your third-ranked non-keeper, Jake? Third-ranked non-keeper is Mookie Betts. Um, just position eligibility is nice. It's always nice to have flexibility, especially when two of them are center field and second base. Uh, we already kind of saw the bad Mookie Betts earlier in the season, and that was still pretty good. And he's really turned it on and is kind of right there with Ramirez now as the top hitter. Um, yeah, I think he just has such a such a high floor position flexibility is really great. And the uh the ceiling that he gets hitting in that Dodger lineup uh can't really be rivaled by by much. So he's my he's my third non keeper. And he's my second ranked non keeper. Mookie <laughs> <Bookie> bets. <laughs> I mentioned Manny Machado has the second highest offensive war in baseball. Mookie Betts is number one. You mentioned he has triple eligibility that spans the infield and the outfield on the best offense in baseball. He's having the best year of his career, at least so far. He's on a 50 home run pace, which I don't think that he'll actually get there. I don't think he's going to hit 50 home runs. But at this point, there is only one hitter that I have ranked ahead of him, and that's my number one ranked non-keeper who I will share in a second. Who is your number two ranked non-keeper? Number two is Juan Soto. Um, I know he's in a bad lineup. I know the pitchers really don't, aren't really inclined to pitch to him. This, I think right now this is kind of the, the bad Juan Soto, but if we remember back to last season, he did have a very slow first half, and then he 
when he was the best second half hitter in the entire league. Uh, arguably, the lineup was even worse back then, but I, I still think that this is like he is the most talented hitter in the entire league. And uh, I'm kind of betting on on skill set to carry. He's averaging almost three a game right now, and I think we're we all consider that to be pretty disappointing. I don't. I think he has yet to really turn it. Yeah, Juan Soto is tough for me to actually exclude from this segment, but yeah, my number one. I'm sure he's Jake's number one non keeper is Jose Ramirez. He's on pace to have. The best season ever recorded by any player in our league's history with a 772-plus point pace. He plays at an extremely shallow position. He has 30 walks on the season to 15 strikeouts. That was as of yesterday. 1024 OPS. The man is just simply on another planet and is running away as the AL MVP frontrunner. That's my number one non-keeper. How about you, Jake? Yeah, I also have... uh... Ramirez. I don't think that there's there's really much of an argument for anybody else there right now. So that brings us to our combined rankings. And this one's going to be interesting because I did not actually rank these guys in the exact same order, like even among their own groups. Uh, you'll see what I mean in a second. But we're going to start with 10 and we're going to go down. So my 10th player in the combined rankings of my top five keepers and my top five nine keepers is Julio Rodriguez. Who do you got, Jake? So I guess I would have this. Maybe I can preface this a little bit. I have Manny Machado at the back, but I would have guys like like Jordan Alvarez. I would rather have Jordan Alvarez than Manny Machado, just because I think they're pretty close and you get the benefit with with Alvarez. Okay. Top hitters, I, I guess it's kind of like I had sort of a teardrop from for me from Guerrero to Machado. Mm-hmm. So I think my top, my top hitters are, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess like there'd probably be more keepers in here, but I just think, I just believe a lot in these top five hitters that they're more otherworldly, I guess, than Machado, but I still like Machado a lot. I just would have other keepers. I think a little bit of, a little bit ahead of him. Okay. So you're saying that you didn't even put all of the 10 guys that we just talked about in here or you're just kind of caveating these rankings with I'm just ca- I, so I guess I miss I maybe I misunderstood uh the assignment here <laughs> just ranked the ones that I from each one even though I didn't I wouldn't have had Oh I did the same I did the same Okay well yeah then I Machado would be at the back of my actually 11 guys because I cheated I Sure I guess Why don't I, you give your 11 and your 10 since Okay so it's it's Machado it's Machado and Glass now are at the back Okay okay My number 9 is Shane McClanahan. Who do you have at number nine in your combined rankings? Kyle Tucker. My number eight is Manny Machado. How about yours? Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove. Okay, so just I'm going to re- kind of recap these in groups of three just so we don't lose sight. So my eight through ten is Manny Machado, Shane McClanahan, 10, Julio Rodriguez. Yours is Joe Musgrove, Kyle Tucker, and then Manny Machado slash Tyler Glasnow. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Number seven, I have Jordan Alvarez. Who's your number seven? Nestor Cortez. Nasty Nestor. My number six is Garrett Cole. Number six for Jake. 
Carlos Rodon. My number five. This might be probably the biggest uh, eyebrow raiser. It's for me. It's Mackenzie Gore. He's your number five. Guerrero Jr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So then five through seven. My five through seven are Mackenzie Gore, Garrett Cole, Jordan Alvarez. Jake's, you're going to have to help me out, Jake. I know number five, you have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. After that, you had Rodon and Cortez. Carlos Rodon at six, Nestor Cortez at seven. My number four is Nasty Nestor Cortez. Jake, who's your number four? Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts. My number three is Mookie Betts. Who's your number three? Juan Soto. Juan Soto. Okay, so I had Mookie Betts and Nestor Cortez as my three and four. Jake had Juan Soto and Mookie Betts as his three and four. So this is going to be interesting. I, we both have the same top two, obviously. I'm curious to know how you rank these guys. My number two is Corbin Burns. Who's your number two? I went the other way. My number two is Jose Ramirez. So that means that my number one is Jose Ramirez. Jake's number one is Corbin Burns. So I'll, I'll read off my 10 in order. Jake, I'll let you do the same. One through 10 in my combined keeper, non-keeper rankings for the purposes of this segment are Jose Ramirez, number one, Corbin Burns, number two, Mookie Betts, number three, Nestor Cortez, number four, Mackenzie Gore, number five, Garrett Cole, number six, Jordan Alvarez, number seven, Manny Machado, number eight, Shane McClanahan, Sugar Shane, number nine, and Julio Rodriguez, number 10. Jake, I know you have 11. Read us off your 11. All right, so number one is Corbin Burns, number two, Jose Ramirez, number three, Juan Soto, number four, Mookie Betts, number five, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., number six, Carlos Rodon, number seven, Nestor Cortez, Number eight, Joe Musgrove. Number nine, Kyle Tucker. And number 10 slash 11, Manny Machado, Tyler Glassnow. <laughs> I like how you read them as one. I like it. That was a fun little segment. Uh, hopefully you got a little bit of insight into, I guess, like what, you know, some of these keepers could, I'm not saying that these guys would move. Like, obviously, I don't think Scott would have any propensity to move Mackenzie Gore or Julio Rodriguez if he's kind of playing for next year. But it's just interesting to hypothesize what some of the top keepers could bring you, what they should bring you. Um, You know, of course, this isn't gospel. One of these guys could fetch you potentially multiple top 10 players. Who knows? But definitely fun to kind of think about, discuss. Let's look ahead to week nine with our matchup preview. Jake, what is your thing to watch for this week? Uh, so my thing to watch for this week is the continuation of the arms race that has seemingly begun. Um, I'm not sure who it would be. Uh, I know that a lot of the the bigger pieces, I know that Nolan Arenado is still out there. I don't know if maybe we get another seller, if Eddie or Brendan decide that they're going to uh, start to look to move some pieces. But I think they're, we always kind of get this, like, it's, it's almost it is like an arms race between the top the, between the, the contenders that are try, all trying to to stock up. I'm really interested. Sam was quiet there. I want to see if he jumps in and tries to improve his roster. Uh, it's exciting times because you're you're all kind of competing over the same players and uh, it's whoever can can stock up the most and get ready for the playoffs. 
Yeah, the the two big pieces left. I, I t- kind of very briefly alluded to them earlier in the episode, but two big pieces left for Scott and Mike are Nolan Arenado for Scott's team and Fernando Tatis Jr. for Mike's team. Jarwin, we discussed at length that he might be kind of trying to play one foot in, one foot out, just to dabble and see where it takes him. So it, I guess it doesn't seem like he is a clear, full-fledged seller at this point, like Mike and Scott seem to be at this point. So yeah, definitely interesting to see how the continued arms race plays out. Very kind of similar topic. My thing to watch for is whether there will be any change in the front runner dynamics as a result of the buyer seller deals that kind of happened this past week. So you, Nick, me, and JC took bites of the apple, so to speak, since last week's episode, making the buying moves with the trio of Scott, Mike, and Jerwin. I'm curious to see if there's going to be any kind of midseason changing of the guard on who the top teams are considered to be, which previously, you know, all season, we've kind of considered those teams to be Nick, Sam, and Jordan, at least in my estimation. I wonder if that, I don't want to say untouchable top three, because there's been plenty of commentary on how there's not, you know, any one juggernaut, but I wonder if those group of three names are going to change or expand or reduce It'll be interesting to see because teams that are, are definitely starting to look different now after this past week's moves. Matchup predictions. My matchup prediction record is awful, 11 and 19. Jake, like I said, brought it back to over 500. He is now 19 and 17, but the guest has been the story of the season. They have a combined 24 and 12 record. We're going to give them the week off from smoking us. Jake, first matchup of the week, weak pullout hitter versus demons in the infield. Sam versus me. Who do you have in this matchup? Uh, you're on a heater right now, so I'm sticking. I'm going to go with you. I'm probably jinxing myself, but I'm also taking demons in the infield. Second matchup is in the Deemer household, Team C Deemer versus Jake's fantasy baseball team. Jake, I have your team winning this matchup, even though you mistakenly left John Gray in your lineup this this week. Yeah, that didn't make me too happy when I saw that. But um, yeah, I have me in this matchup as well. Third matchup of the week, the Walk Institute of Research versus Team No Name, Jordan versus Scott. Scott had a big week last week, but I'm still taking Jordan. I'm still taking the Dean. Who do you have in this matchup? I also have Jordan in this one. Jake, you don't seem to get very excited when we have all the same picks. We're on the same page, baby. That's a good thing. Is it? Have we, like, you're... Your record. We're going to go 6 and 0 <laughs> this week. You're going to improve to 25 and 17. I'm going to be coming up to 17 and 19. This is going to be great. I, fourth, I hope so. Yeah, fourth matchup of the week, Gone Forever versus Ass in the Jackpot, Eddie versus Brendan. I I kind of talked him up a little bit earlier. I think Brendan's team is on the rise, especially with the pitchers he's getting back this week. I think Ass in the Jackpot takes this matchup and Eddie kind of continues to skid. What do you have? I got the same thing. Clayton Kershaw and Shane Baz will lead Brendan's team to victory, provided I believe that at least Kershaw has a Sunday start, provided that Kershaw even pitches. Oh, I think he will. I think he will. Dave Roberts said that his next start would be with the Dodgers, so unless he's planning to wait for like eight days, he definitely should pitch this week. Second to last matchup of the week, Freedom All-Stars versus Team Positivity. It would be ludicrous for me to pick against Nick's team after Jerwin just sold his best healthy player. So I got freedom all stars in this matchup. I do as well. 
which means going for all six, do we have all the same picks? The last matchup of the week, Big Money Mike versus the NFTs. Mike just sold his most valuable players that are healthy big time this past week. I'm picking the NFTs to win this matchup. How do you how do you have this one? I got the same thing because I can't really it'd be hard for me to pick a team that literally just sold off. Emptied the tank. <laughs> yeah. So we got all same all this all six of the same picks this week. Hopefully we both go six and oh. That would be great. A good bounce back for us to have before we bring on another guest which I actually hadn't looked, but I know that we have a guest coming on next week with, I think, the two of us, right? I, I don't know. I, I haven't looked at the schedule, which tells you how much I prepare. Actually, I am wrong about that. It is you and to be determined next week. I actually oh, might nice. be able to make it next week. I originally didn't sign up for this one because we close on our new house on Monday. Congratulations. Thank you. It's exciting stuff, but I think I might still try to make it since we didn't have anybody sign up. So you could be the I've guest. Taking a lot of yeah, I could be the guest. I've been taking a lot of time off anyway, so we'll we'll see what happens with that. Around the league portion of the podcast, Jake, hit us with your league history fact of the week. All right, so I'm doubling down on my non hatred for Nestor Cortez. Uh, he is currently on pace for 586.5 points. Uh, this would be the best mark by a reliever in league history breaking the previous record set in 2017 by Luis Severino, who kind of had a similar-ish path. They were both Sparks that played for the Yankees, and I don't think that Severino did a whole lot. He wasn't really a full-time reliever before that, but that's okay. My comparison was pretty close. I think we can all agree. Uh, His his current points per game of 19.5 also tops the mark set by Sparks, which was set by Carlos Rodon last year. So I don't want to hear any more about how I hate Nestor Cortez. I don't love him and his mustache and his funky delivery. Where's he at in your starting pitcher rankings? That's confidential. Ah, that's the true test of how much or whether or not you hate him, in my opinion. Jake, we have three minutes left, so we're going to do lightning round news and notes. Okay. Tim Anderson strained his groin after a great start to the season in which he found himself performing as the top, the number one overall shortstop until the injury. Tony LaRusso said that he's going to miss about three weeks. I just saw an update today that he's expected to start a rehab assignment within the week. Was he playing above his head before the injury? Yeah, maybe a little. Do you think he comes back and does more of the same, or is he going to cool down once he gets back? He's going to cool down a little bit, but he's still going to be very good. Tim Anderson is a very good baseball player. He is a good baseball player. I agree with that. Top pitching prospect Grayson Rodriguez is in danger of missing the rest of the season with a lat strain. Jake, how confident are you on the confidence o meter that G-Rod is back to 100% health and performance as we've come to expect in his time in the minors this time next year as a member of the Baltimore Orioles rotation? Four. Four. Okay. Have to do more with the health or more with the fact that he is a prospect? Uh, It's more so with the health. I don't think that the Orioles really have any reason to push him. Okay. Last piece of news. Roto-Wire's top 400 dynasty rankings just came out with an update on Monday, which has Julio Rodriguez as the number three overall player in dynasty, right behind Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna Jr., 
right ahead of Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Now that that to me sounds a little crazy. Is this ludicrous or is the skill set that good, Jake? Uh, this is blasphemous and foolish. And I think the only reason he's up there is because these are probably Roto rankings. They are Roto OBP league rankings. So they are Roto rankings, but they do translate somewhat to points league since they're focused on OBP over average. Yeah, I think the steals are the main reason that he's up there because he's definitely showing that he's good. He's willing and able to run. Okay. Does this recognition in the long-term rankings make him a super keeper for our league in your mind, similar to a Tatis and Acuna over the last few years? Now, again, he's eligible in the 16th round next year, 12th round the following year. Uh, I need to see a little more before that, before I anoint him, I think. He's on the right track, though. On the right track. Okay, I would agree with that. So last, we have a minute, less than a minute left. Give us, this is going to be the sparks that tie the bow all together. That being the case, now that we have more context, I want you to grade the trade from a year ago where I sent Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kalanick, and Luis Severino for Shane Bieber, Mookie Betts, and JT Real Mundo. Uh, I guess that'd be like a B for both sides. There you have it, folks. We will probably catch you, the two of us, again next week. Maybe we'll get a third person to come on with us, but if not, we will still be here, and we will talk to you guys for episode 11. Have a great week.